this is the first Striper reference we've ever made on the Sincast. Welcome to Sincast, presented by CinemaSins. This is Chris Atkinson from CinemaSins, joined as always by the voice of CinemaSins, Jeremy Scott. Hello, howdy. And from Music Video Sins, Barrett Shear. Hi there. And today we're going to be talking about 1991. Yay! Yeah. I say let justice be done over heaven's fall. Come with me if you want to live. Counselor! I'm going to cut your heart out with a spoon! It rubs the lotion on its skin or else it gets the hose again. I feel good, sturdy. I feel great. I feel wonderful. Domino, motherfuckers. Um, good year. Really good Pretty year. Good year, man. Yeah, I'm, it's actually a. I mean, it's a top-heavy year, but it's. I mean, a lot of good stuff. Yeah, if, it, if they were, if it weren't for two or three movies at the top, it would be really hard to choose. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Um, I don't know what would be first per se. I guess Terminator Two: Judgment Day would be the first one that I'd want to talk about here. Mm. Biggest hit of 1991, even though we missed the second biggest hit of 1990 last time. Ghost. <laughs> it's all right. We, <laughs> Ghost isn't all that good. It's so. not good at all. I just wanted to put that out there. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, Terminator Two: uh, Judgment Day um, uh, is is one of the best sequels I've ever seen, especially back in this era when sequels were usually horrible. And just they were always pale imitations of the first movie. Uh, this one is arguably better than the first one, even though I think I still like the first one better. Yeah. Um, but how much excitement can you throw into one movie? I it's- mean, and the effects hold up today. Yes. Um, and this movie also did something that was pretty unheard of in, in that when you're watching it for the first time. And you realize Arnold is the good guy in this movie instead of the bad guy. Because you don't know that until that moment. Um, Mind-blowing that he would just kind of flip the script on his villain and make him the hero. And then they they went ahead and created another villain who was just as like, oh, yeah. magnetic. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, this is a sort of star making for Robert Patrick, even though I don't think he really translated that into like some awesome like leading man career or sure. anything. But. He suddenly was a, a in-demand character actor, yeah. And uh, the T-1000 is one of the best creations of any movie, yeah, uh, of all time, really. One yeah. of the best creations, yeah. And this movie is very special to me. Um, excuse me, I just burped in the middle of the podcast. <laughs> um, this movie is very special to me. For uh, this is the movie that inter- introduced me to film. Really, Mm -hmm. I had seen movies, right? We talking about all these movies we watched on VHS and whatnot, but I wasn't allowed to go to the theater. I wasn't allowed to go see new movies. And my brother had just gone to college the year before this came out. And he had started going to movies like crazy. Mm. And he came home and mom and dad went to some dinner and he pulled out this videotape of Terminator 2 and he was like, you have to see this movie. And he'd like spent 10 minutes explaining the first one to me so that I would have some whammy when Arnold turned out to be good. Uh, And it just blew my mind, freed my mind. I'd never seen anything like this. So you saw this before you saw the original Terminator? Oh, yeah. Oh, Oh, shit. See, I actually saw Aliens before I saw Alien. Oh, interesting. I had kind of the same perspective. And I mean, that's what what a streak for Cameron that he makes two sequels 
that are equal to, if not better than the originals. Yeah. yeah. I actually saw Alien 3 first, then oh, Alien. Really? Then wow. Alien. Holy yeah. shit. Yeah. So you probably thought the franchise sucked at Well, first. <laughs> I think I had a sneaking suspicion that the other two were better. Um, or else there wouldn't have been a three, but, uh, but yeah, it, it, it got progressively better, I guess, or whatever <laughs> after I watched that. Um, I think, I think Arnie being the good guy is sort of a reflection of what his career had become yeah. after 1984. Um, it, I think it was more along the lines of we're more willing to accept him as the good guy than the bad guy at this point. Mm. Cause he had been in so many ass kicking movies, uh, in those seven years. Yeah. And he doesn't show up as the villain again until Batman and Robin. Yeah. And uh, so uh, and so that just goes count. to show you where we were with, with Schwarzenegger <laughs> by this point. Um, also, huge movie in 1991, The Silence of the Lambs. Mm. Um, last week, we talked about how uh, the Academy doesn't generally pick movies that are violent and have a lot of F-bombs and all this other stuff. And it's very traditional about picking epics. The Silence of the Lambs is as far away from that as possible. One best picture of yeah, 1991. Yeah. Uh, it is an anomaly, though, by yeah. the way. It's not like they, they started, you know, awarding Scream best picture or whatever, like in, in future years. But um, uh, but The Silence of the Lambs, uh, I've had uh, I've actually had weird mixed opinions on this movie. Hmm. There's not unanimous like love of this movie. I do love it. I do too. Um, but I remember, I think it was Siskel and Ebert had an argument about this movie. I think Siskel did not like this movie at all. Hmm. Um, and I've run into others who are not as, as high on this movie as others. I love it, though. Well, it's ultimately what Anthony Hopkins is going to be most remembered for. Yeah. Uh, and rightly so, because he chews the shit out of that role. Yeah. Um, even in the other two movies that have come since Hannibal and Red Dragon, he's still kicking ass as Hannibal Lecter. Mm -hmm. um, and yeah, creepy ass movie. It's one of those movies that I saw years later. Didn't it also, wasn't it also an Academy anomaly because it came out like in the spring and usually Yeah, that, I believe it was like March or February yeah. when this came out. And like, usually those are forgotten by prestige season. Um, I remember reading about it being a big deal that a movie that came out that early in the year still held enough weight with voters to, to pull it off. And, and it just goes to show, yeah, it came out in February. February 14th came on Valentine's Day. <laughs> wow. <laughs> nice. um, like doing the Deadpool yeah. right before Deadpool. <laughs> right. Um, but I guess it, it it had to have been a really weird year for nominees for this one to come at, to, to win. I, I think typically a movie like JFK might have won in in the past yeah, yeah. uh but uh man jfk has so much baggage to it you know well silence of the lambs it's it's easy to forget like 15 years ago it's responsible for like half of the tv landscape now like criminal minds and oh, sure. <laughs> yeah, and all that. So yeah. there'd be none of that if there weren't this and you know i got everybody interested in psychological profiling and yeah, all that yeah yeah so, no, totally such an unusual narrative too because we think of hannibal lecter as the main bad guy yeah but he's not. No. It's it's Buffalo Bill is yeah. the ba main bad guy, and uh, so much iconic <laughs> stuff with Buffalo Bill too, though. Yeah, yeah, Ted Levine. Yeah, Ted Levine is amazing in this, <laughs> by the way, uh, because he's been in a million movies after this, but you never know it's him. Yeah, and that's how good of a character. I was just watching Shutter Island this morning. And I couldn't figure out who the weird, creepy police chief was. It's fucking Ted there Levine. There you go. 
he's he very much in, encapsulates a character actor that just uh, goes into the role, mm. and he did. I don't think he did it any better than it in Silence <laughs> of the Lambs. God. Um, I I mentioned JFK. Yeah. Um, JFK. I considered this movie Bible about JFK mm. for the longest time. Mm-hmm. The reason for that is, and I don't think this movie could come out today. Uh, is there was nothing that was come that I saw that was coming and just refuting anything that that movie said, and everything about it. Oliver Stone expertly goes through all the things like this is the reason why Lee Arby Oswald couldn't have done it and all this other type of stuff. I've watched this movie more than 40 or 50 times. Really? Wow. Yeah, I've seen it. So I used to be obsessed with this JFK thing. Wow. And um, it took a while before I finally saw some things that said, yeah, by the way, <laughs> uh, here's the reason why Lee Harvey Oswald probably did it. Uh-huh. <laughs> and here's some proof for it. Um, JFK, though, aside from the fact that th- this is the thing about JFK. It takes a lawyer, Jim Garrison, another Kevin Costner performance in this era, by the way, that's fantastic. Um, It takes, it basically says, you know, takes a a guy that in real life, everybody thought was a loon, and probably rightfully so, (laughs) um, and said, well, what if he wasn't a loon? What if the media made him out to be a loon? Yeah. And sort of turns him into like this serious lawyer who's just trying to find the truth and all that. The more and more you hear the real Jim Garrison stories and stuff like that, it's like, oh, (laughs) why? That's how expert this movie is. Oliver Stone makes this guy into something that you can believe in and that he is in. He's doing the right thing. Uh, But he's got a knack for that, for making kind of uh, this isn't really an antihero, but making like caricatures into real people and, you know, making them. We're not getting into it this year, but like natural born killers, you almost root for them. Yeah. You know? and, and Wall Street, you almost root for Michael Douglas. Yeah. Them, you know? yeah. 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 I mean, so look, I, I'm going to say this. JFK is an expertly done movie. It is well done, mm. but you can't take much of it seriously, unfortunately. Mm. It's got a and great cast. Too. It has an unbelievable cast. And famously spoofed by Seinfeld in the second Spitter, <laughs> Keith <laughs> <Yes>. Hernandez <laughs> yes. episode. I think it was a, a two-parter, actually, yep. uh, where Jerry and has positioned Newman and Kramer and has the stick and goes through the whole. It's one Kevin of my Costner favorites. Thing. And yeah. and, and uh, Wayne Knight is in JFK, too, which makes it even better. <laughs> yeah. um, but I uh, wanted to talk about JFK because it is a great movie. It mm-hmm. just you it now you if you have enough information out there. It's it's almost impossible to take seriously. Did you watch it like 40 or 50 times when it was on VHS? No, I had it on DVD. Oh, okay, because it was the two tape yeah, yeah, VHS, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's I, had a lot the, of I had I had the I had the DVD and and I used to just pop this in and be like, hey, let's you know, because I was always I mean I was I'm I'm that type that if you tell me there's a conspiracy and there's nobody saying anything about it and hey blah 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 i'll watch that i watched uh jfk conspiracy stuff before jfk Mm. came out and i was just fascinated by it well and this is 1991 then there's certainly some elements of internet out there but i wasn't on the internet or having an email until 93 or 94 there Mm. was there was no 
like you said, there was no Snopes.com or whatever yeah. to refute what this movie was saying. And it's so well put together. It almost feels like a like a textbook or like a documentary. Yeah. And I and I didn't know where to go to find the stuff that would refute sure. this this stuff. This is the thing. There was probably lots of stuff that refuted it, mm-hmm. but I didn't know what was out there and plus once you start getting into jfk and start getting into all the conspiracies of it anything against it you start thinking well maybe they're in on it too Mm -hmm. and it's uh so it's it's a movie that's almost dangerous in a way (laughs) uh but i mean once you start seeing actual facts about this cat the case the thing about jfk at the end is that it says uh, a senate committee found that there was a probable conspiracy now the problem is is that they were about to say, well, Lee Harvey Oswald did it. They All, all the questions and, and all the people, the interviews that they conducted, they were like, yeah, it's probably Lee Harvey Oswald. But at the very end of this committee hearing, uh, they said uh, the one of the cops on a motorcycle had a microphone and it detected uh, an, another shot that they had not detected before. Mm. And it was probably just an echo from, the, from Lee Harvey Oswald's shot or mm. whatever. But just because of this motorcycle and this microphone, they said, well, let's look into this further. And it mm. just continued yeah. on after that. Wow. Um, anyway, what else stands out to well, you? Well, another movie that was really controversial was uh, Beauty and the Beast. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, I love this movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, when I try and pick my favorite Disney animation films from this era, um, this one comes out ahead of everything except maybe Aladdin in terms of watchability for me. This is Disney on a higher level. This is a movie that they're, they're actually just making a, just going for it. Epic type of movie. This was nominated for best picture. It was another one that was nominated awesome. for best picture. In 91, the first animated movie to do so as well. Interesting. And that's how, that's how far they, they, that's how high they aimed and, and nailed it. Oh, it's great. They it's did. So good. And now, now they're just, you know, Going back to that well over and over and over, mm-hmm. we're, we're on like season four of a Beauty and the Beast TV show that I didn't even know was on until the <laughs> other day I saw it got renewed or whatever. We've got the Emma Watson live action adaptation coming. Um, I'm not interested in any of that because the soul of this original in 91 is so pure yeah. and so good. I don't know how you're going to make me feel those feelings just because I'm looking at human beings. Um, it's the, it's the It's just... It's great. I love it. It's actually in my list of movies I might vote for here. This is probably I, I would have to say their their best one of their best achievements in all of the Disney history. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's just one of those movies that they've they really like I said they shot you know perfectly on mm-hmm. a movie that normally would not be something that you try to get kids to watch or anything like that. It does, doesn't feel like a a movie they made for uh, like a whole mass audience or anything. Yeah. It feels like they made an intimate kind of almost independent movie. Yeah. Of it, <laughs> you know? Yeah. And the music works perfectly. Like the music just, it, you know, you watch musicals sometimes and it feels like, you know, you're tacking the song on or something like that, but every song in there just works beautifully and it organically kind of just goes into it. Yeah. There's a lot of time, like what you just said, where that the song is an afterthought. Mm-hmm. Whereas like the opening song when Belle's singing about the book and, Shoot, Prince Charming, uh-huh. she won't discover who he is till chapter three or whatever. Uh, like, that's character development. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's it lets us know who Belle is setting the It's not just a throwaway song that we can sell some CDs. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, what else stands out in 91 to you guys? 
my favorite, one of my favorite comedies of all time was this year, and Frank Oz directed What About Bob? Oh, my God. <laughs> yes. And that, that's a perfect little just straightforward comedy that's Bill Murray, that's my favorite Bill Murray performance. Me too. Now, I, I think Groundhog Day gets more attention, mm-hmm. uh, but I went to Groundhog Day opening day because of What About Bob, yeah. which I had seen 15 times by that. Yeah. I think you're right about that. That feels right. Like, what about Bob sort of set the stage yeah. for Groundhog Day? Yeah, and uh, Richard Dreyfus is so good in this. Yeah. It's <laughs> such a thankless role to it's play so the great. straight man to, to the character Bob, but he does it so well. The slow burn <laughs> building throughout the film. Um, and I quote all the time. What's the what's that line the old lady, the old lady says in the boat? But son of a bitch, because they bought he bought the house out from under it, and the old man goes, she never says that. <laughs> the one that I quote almost all the time, if if I'm asking my son or my my wife to get out of the car, is where Richard Dreyfus is driving him back from the hospital and everything, and he's so on fire that when he gets out and he opens Bill Murray's door, he's like, get out. <laughs> well and i got i love the uh you can call me boob when they're doing the good morning america interview i use that one a lot too you can call me boob. it's okay uh great movie if you've never seen what about bob stop listening to this podcast right now and put it on yeah and uh, you will not be disappointed another one another smaller comedy that came out in 1991 la story oh, oh i God. love that such a good movie this might be the sort of the last steve martin starring comedy vehicle Mm. that not only was great but i mean he was 46 at the time he's getting close to that point but like almost everything that comes out after la story is a very minor steve martin movie we start getting the 12 kids in the family yeah i mean he in 91 he did father of the bride and he did this and he did uh, grand canyon also also Mm -hmm. came out in 91 um and then yeah father the bride too and then like a lot of those like a lot of comedians he'd start doing these kids movies like cheaper by the dozen yep. and all that um but la story is so great because it's it's a satire of la mm-hmm. and it's just it, they the stuff that they just take normally is great like he just goes to the atm and he's and there's a guy who's like i'm gonna be your robber today and he's just like hands over the money gleefully you know <laughs> it starts to show his his breadth too as an artist because he wrote the screenplay yes yeah, he did and and now it's great his performance is he's a point. very uniquely talented guy i mean he's touring right now with a banjo yeah. musical act and he's really good it's oh yeah not oh, just yeah. it's not like russell crowe has a band where he sings some grunts um <laughs> this is bruce like, willis face harmonica like, like <laughs> steve martin is a world-class player of the banjo yeah. and great writer um Shop Girls, another one. Yeah. He wrote the book, I think. And yeah, he did. Turned around and made the movie. But L.A. Story is one of those that it, it feels like nothing I'd ever seen before. Like the, yeah. the satire is so thick. Um, and and it was that ATM robber scene where he says, "Hi, my name's Bob. I'll be your robber." <laughs> yeah. that, that made me realize I'm watching something really unique here. Yeah. Um, and the, the talking highway sign. Uh, yes. it's just it's really good and i think one of those forgotten movies yeah it, you don't it, see people talk about it ever it feels like a forgotten movie even though i i occasionally will run into somebody who's like yeah have you seen that that's yeah. so good you yeah. know and it's it's if, i think out of 1991 if we were to like recommend movies la story what about bob yeah you know if you haven't seen those those are fantastic comedies you need to go watch them. another forgotten movie from 91 i feel like it's been forgotten is the fisher king yeah. oh yeah yeah which is uh, Robin Williams and Jeff Bridges. Um, 
And it deals heavily with the issue of mental health, mm -hmm. uh, post-traumatic stress. This guy is a radio host who, because of something that happens on his show, there's a mass murder. Um, and he starts losing it. And it, it, it was such a deep movie. Uh, it kind of surprised me how much it made me feel. Well, he yeah. loses it. And then he runs into it's Robin Williams, whose wife died. In right. That, right. Right. And so they're both kind of picking each other up throughout the movie. But Robin it's Williams a great is great performance. Much further gone. Mm -hmm. Like he's seeing visions yeah, of, yeah, yeah. and whatnot. But Jeff Bridges eventually tries to help him and get on the same page. It's, it's a it's there's not a lot of movies like this. Yeah, mm -hmm. and it's a different. It's a sort of a departure for Terry Gilliam who did yeah. this movie. The, I mean, Terry Gilliam, uh, you know, very visionary director. This one's a little. I mean, it's got some stuff in it, but it's it's more straightforward than most Terry Gilliam movies oh, yeah. that he's oh, yeah. ever made. Um, but yeah, that's a that's a fantastic one. Yeah, yeah. Um, since we just talked Star Trek. I'll go ahead and bring up <laughs> Star Trek Six: Undiscovered Country. Mm -hmm. Yep, my second favorite Star Trek movie. Wow! Um, mm -hmm. Right after Wrath of Khan, uh, and having said that, it's the one I'd rather watch. Really, uh, I think Wrath of Khan is better, but I'm more entertained by watching Undiscovered Country. And it, yeah. they do something in that movie that Star Trek hadn't really ever done, and that's they give us this murder mystery, mm -hmm. where in many ways it's like a it's like a detective movie. Um, and uh, it's got great action. The effects are great. Then uh, the music. The music in this film is so killer. It's not, There's not another Star Trek movie that has music this good, I don't think, all the way through. Setting the tone, that do 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 um, Freaking love that opening. What do you call it? The... Overture? Yeah, the opening yeah. overture that to the opening credits of that. I don't if we ever sin that movie, I won't let you write the sin about the credits that do nothing for nobody. <laughs> Star Trek movie because that overture is so good. Um Star Trek 6 was made, I believe, because it was as an apology for Star Trek 5. Well, they needed to apologize for Star Trek <laughs> yeah. 5. Um cuz Star Trek 5, I think, was supposed to be the final Kirk and the right. old crew movie and it comes out and it's a piece of shit. Well, and one of them directed it. Like yeah, Shatner or Nimoy directed that. I'm pretty sure. I think so. I think it was. Shatner. And they meet God. Yeah, they meet God. <laughs> FYI. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Uh. Star Trek Five was horrible, and I think they didn't want to end it on that note, so they came out with Six, and Six is exciting. Yeah, it is. They got. Uh. Tell me, it's either the composer or the director is the same as Wrath of Khan. Nicholas Meyer. I think it is. Uh. The yeah, Nicholas Meyer's the director. They credit like what six writers on this including nimoy on this nicholas meyer also writing on this but, but hey we're gonna apologize for a bad movie let's go get the guy that directed the best trek movie ever yeah and pretty much yeah. pretty much um what else stands out one of the comedies that just exploded was city slickers yes yeah and it was i think it was all the performances the performances were just electric i mean they all just were so cohesive and Jack Palance's they must have been having so much fun on that. Yeah, because yeah. the second one doesn't have any of that magic. Oh yeah, but it's just as flimsy a pre premise. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, City Slickers was huge. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it was fun. Um, there are a couple of spoof movies that came out this year. Hot Shots. Yes. Uh, which is uh another another. I mean, it's not one of the best, but it's <laughs> I guess it is one of the best yeah. when you can consider about it, but. Um, but, uh, hot shots, which is a sort of a parody of top gun and all these is, is pretty fantastic. Mm -hmm. Um, they made the sequel to the naked gun this year too. Mm -hmm. naked gun two and a half, the smell <laughs> of fear, which is also pretty funny, but it's not hot shots. <laughs> um, but I love hot shots just because it's just, it, 
it's maybe nuttier than any other one of the, these movies that this is just Jim Abrams on this. The Zuckers weren't part of it, but, um, but just, I love how they make fun of nine and a half weeks in this movie and Carrie <laughs> Elways is hilarious uh-huh. in it. Um, but silly movies, but, uh, the, you know, they're, they're good. Yeah. These are really rewatchable movies. All these things. What about Bob city slickers, uh, father of the bride, I think. And you know, silence of the lambs, like a really rewatchable. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the things that I watch, a lot, and this was my introduction to Christina Ricci, was the Adams family. Yes. And they really took this seriously with Raul Julia, who was really a badass in this movie. Yeah. He was awesome. Yeah. And Angelica Houston and Christina Ricci. And they, they really, uh, I think they did it right. I thought it was a, a really, really fun movie. Well, I liked it. I'd never really seen the show, mm-hmm. so I don't know that that was, movie was made for me, but I remember thinking it was charming. I did mm-hmm. watch the show back in the day when they were showing a lot of reruns and stuff. Not, of course, when it first aired. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, but, like, uh, but this was Barry Sonnenfeld, who was a longtime Coen brother cinematographer doing his thing, and he's starting a big directorial career in the 90s here because mm-hmm. he's at Adam's Family and Men in Black later and Get Shorty. Get Shorty, yeah. Oh, all that um but uh yeah adam's family is just an enjoyable movie and mm-hmm. if we're on still on the topic of comedies here might as well talk about doc hollywood which is yeah. basically the inspiration for cars later on uh-huh. um but uh, that was michael j fox probably in his last really good movie before everything started going bad for him mm. but uh but yeah uh doc hollywood's a really enjoyable movie as well um go An- ahead. another big one from 91 is i mentioned it briefly boys in the hood yes mm-hmm. um i watched this again recently not uh, not like planning or prepping for this podcast it just happened to come on and i, I still enjoy it i think ice cube is maybe the best thing about the movie yeah him and Lawrence fishburne uh but it feels a little dated to me now and it didn't feel it didn't feel like it packed the punch this time through that it did when I saw it in the 90s. Yeah, although I, I guess our focus now is not so much on gang violence anymore as it is the relationship between cops and, you know, people sure. on the street. Sure, uh, That's part of it. And it is such a 1991 movie, too. Like mm. the hairstyles, the music and all that. I don't know if we can shortchange it too much. I know what you mean. Yeah. And I don't think you mean it's bad. I no. think it just means it's, it's kind of dated now. But the yeah, you're talking about Ice Cube. That the great line where it's like, either they don't know, don't show, or don't care what happens in the hood. I yeah. love that line. Mm, yeah. What else, boys? Um, Can we talk about Cape Fear? Yes. Yeah. So this was uh, this was a fun movie for you know a, a revenge thread uh, thriller basically. <laughs> yeah. Robert De Niro. I mean, this was parodied. I think in, in Seinfeld too, with Uncle Leo uh, doing pull-ups in prison. Weeks. One that was most <laughs> notably parodied in Simpsons, which, which uh, had an episode called Cape Fear with an E at the end of. It. Oh, nice! Um, yeah. Where Sideshow Bob steps on a thousand rakes. Yes, <laughs> yes. It's one of the best Simpsons of all time. But this is, is a, a super departure for Martin Scorsese, who's doing a remake yeah. of a you know, uh, and it's. But I love it. I think I think it's really good. No, yeah, absolutely. It's it's I still get creeped out by De Niro when I see this movie. Uh, I think it's a combination of De Niro being creepy and uh, Juliette Lewis being so young. Yeah, she's <laughs> super young enough, and um, it, it's unsettling in exactly the way I think he wanted it to be. Yeah. Um, 
but I do really enjoy this movie. This is Nick Nolte, like very like straight laced too. Mm-hmm. Usually he's a little bit of a haggard, you know, hair flying all over the place type of guy. <laughs> this to one, tone him down. But here he's he's just like a normal guy in this. He's scared of De Niro. Like it's <laughs> the only person that could possibly like, you know, make Nolte look, you know, uh, sane in comparison or whatever. Um, uh, but uh, yeah, Cape Fear, that's a good little thriller. And it, I think, I think it gets a little bit of short shrift every once in a while. Like people dismiss it as a, a lesser Scorsese movie, but a lesser Scorsese movie is better than ninety percent of the no things. No exactly. Uh, hey, you mentioned the Coens earlier. What do you guys think about Barton Fink? Oh, love Barton Fink. Really? Saw it once. Uh, yeah, I'm shrugging. Yeah, me too. <laughs> I love Barton Fink, and then, and then we're we're talking about. Uh, I didn't put this on my list of things, but this is a movie that can make you think. I've seen this. Probably ten times. Really? Yeah. Um. It's a. Uh, it's a. I mean, Taturo is great in it. John Goodman is amazing in it. Uh. And Michael Lerner, who got nominated for his performance in it as the uh, the studio head. But Barton Fink has so many things that you can read into and interpret, and you it it can make you think. It's got a lot of weird visuals in it. Obviously, a lot of dream sequence stuff in it. But uh, I don't want to. I don't want to leave the scene cast with you guys shrugging and <laughs> and and me just shrugging that off because it's a better movie than that. Well, I, I like I said, I saw it once. I, I need to watch it again. I'm, I'm sure I saw it before I fell in love with the Coens. I fell in love with the Coens on um, Hudsucker Project. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's when I went and started gobbling up all the stuff that I could. But I had seen Barton Fink before them. Mm. This is the year of Hook, right? Oh yep. yeah. So Spielberg making one of my least favorite Spielberg movies of all time. Yep, another <laughs> departure for a big director. Yeah, and this is a beloved movie for some reason. It's, got, it's oddly cast. Yeah. Julia Roberts, uh, it's just a... Robin it doesn't play Williams. As- I freaking loved it when it came out. Yeah. yeah. I loved it. Uh, and I look back at it now, and I'm just like, what? What? Was it just that I was a kid? What yeah. Is, what did I see? Uh, Dustin Hoffman's really good. I though. also, even though I think Mad Max Fury Road kind of does this too, and I can't believe I'm comparing Mad Max Fury Road with Hook, <laughs> but <laughs> but like um, I don't like these sort of reboot, reimagine, uh, reimaginings of a story that say, well, some of the stuff that happened in the original story happened, but then we're gonna kind of forget about that, yeah. and there's not really any like focus in the entire movie that's the thing about hook that bothers me the most is that they'll say that all this stuff from peter pan happened but then they'll say no it didn't really it it Mm -hmm. didn't happen in this case or whatever it's it's kind of confused as to where it wants to be yeah Yeah, for sure great one of the movies that i watched growing up an embarrassing amount of time was uh robin hood prince of thieves (laughs) yep yeah talk about not holding up as an adult oh my god but my wife and I constantly quote that. Why a spoon, cousin? Because it's dull, you twit. It'll hurt more. <laughs> well, yeah, it's got a great cast. Alan Rickman and uh, and Kevin Costner and Christian Slater. Just yeah. kind of uh, yeah, doing Christian his Slater. thing. Out of nowhere, Christian Slater. I really don't know what is worse, the attempt of Kevin Costner's English accent or Christian Slater's English accent, because they are bad. Mm-hmm. I'm not a big fan of Morgan Freeman's accent in that movie either. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry to say, 
Yeah. That's, uh, I didn't even think about that. That's awful. <laughs> um, you know, the, a movie that is perhaps most well known for a song, basically. Yeah. Yep. It is best known as uh, for a song. I mean, that's the song that got Jeremy Chicks at church camp. That's Absolutely. True. That's uh, what I remember it as. For that reason alone, I'm not going to say too much bad but about I the movie. Be- but I believe uh, this year, uh, more than any other, may prove how much Kevin Costner sort of put his fingerprints on this landscape basically like two movies two big movies uh for him in this year uh getting back to jfk really really briefly it's funny i've read this in the trivia it's funny that in bull durham he's like in that middle of that rant to susan sarandon he's like i believe lee harvey oswald acted alone (laughs) and then in 91 jfk (laughs) he's definitely against that uh, if you believe the movie world uh, connects that way. Um, also in 1991, Thelma and Louise. Mm, big movie. Another huge departure for Ridley Scott. Like, how in the world is that a Ridley Scott oh, wow. movie? Seriously. Seriously. Um, it's not, it's not barely any action at all. Yeah, yeah. And also famously uh, mentioned on Seinfeld. <laughs> <laughs> in, the, in the episode where Kramer is testing the... The sob for Jerry while Jerry's trying to get a sweetheart deal from Putty. And he does, we'll be like Thelma and Louise. And the guy says, they drove off a cliff. <laughs> <laughs> well, and I will I will take your Seinfeld and raise you a Simpsons because the uh, that's a Simpsons episode with Marge on the lamb. Yep. Yep. Nice. Um, but Thelma and Louise, uh, you know, female empowerment. That mm-hmm. was the thing back then. And like, you know, like I can have sex with Brad Pitt and not care, but care about That's it. That's right. That yeah. was the introduction to most people for Brad Pitt. It was. Mm-hmm. And I could have sex with Brad Pitt. Oh, he was beautiful night. in that movie, was he not? Yeah, he was pretty much a dreamboat. Nobody knew he could act. Yeah. Um, but he was exactly what that role needed. Yeah. Um, dumb pretty boy. Yeah, um, there you go. And uh yeah, that's a weird movie. I like it, uh, but it was huge oh, when it came out. Tremendous hit. Tremendous mm. hit. Um, anything else stand out to you I'm guys? I'm just looking at Regarding Henry here. Yes, oh, another a, great yeah, one. Yeah, that's good. Harrison Ford, like you're not likely to see him in any other movie. Mm-hmm. Um, this is a guy who basically he's a normal guy, goes out to a little cigarette gas station shop, gets shot in the head, and is changed. Um, and the movie is about both he and his family sort of adapting to that change. Uh, and I remember it, I haven't seen it in maybe 10 years, but I remember it being pretty powerful. Yeah, it, it is. Um, and, you know, I think last week we're talking about how Harrison Ford's really great and presumed innocent. That's even, that's not even half of what he is in regarding Henry. Right. He, sh- he really should have gotten nominated for this. For sure. Mm. Like there, you speculate like, oh, well, he may, maybe had, should have more Oscar nominations here and there regarding henry is where he's at his absolute best i am shocked he didn't get he's so quiet in that movie he's just everything is on his face it's it's great yeah Yeah. i got two soundtracks that i have to plug in here because that was this was an interesting year for soundtracks one was bill and ted's bogus journey yeah uh, which had the the iconic kiss song god cave rock and roll to you (laughs) (laughs) which i will tell you was not I'm pretty sure that was not originally a Kiss song. No, I don't think that so. That was originally a Christian rock band song. Uh, oh, was it really? I'm, I was really into Christian rock growing up because that's all I was allowed to listen to. I'm pretty sure that was a Petra song. Oh, really? And they, if I'm remembering my history right, they swapped. Oh, no, it was Striper. It was Striper. <laughs> they, they swap rights and Kiss did this and Striper did one of Kiss's songs. Wow. And then made it religious somehow. Oh, my God. Wow. I'm going to be Googling after this to see how crazy I sound, but I'm pretty sure that's what happened. <laughs> that is fascinating. Because I, ha- I had a, 
I, I'm almost positive now it was Striper. I had an album of a Christian rock band singing, God gave rock and roll to you, in the soul of this everyone. Is, this is the first Striper reference we've ever made on the Sincast. Yes, we have. It shouldn't be the last, no, though, it, because there's something really great it. about Striper. They're going to be the new <laughs> Kenneth Branagh. Like, yeah. Christian heavy metal <laughs> is unlike anything you've ever experienced. We, yeah. would, we would be remiss not to mention that again, since we were we started off the Sincast with lots of Kenneth Branagh references, <laughs> but uh, I love this mystery. I love it's a it's a great Kenneth Branagh uh-huh. Emma Thompson when they were married and happy. Um, <laughs> this was another movie my brother showed me as sort of like awakening me to film, mm-hmm. and uh, so it stuck with me. I, I I really like it. Yeah, I don't need to talk too much about it, but you said uh, second soundtrack exactly. No, the second soundtrack that was huge was the Doors soundtrack. Yes, oh god, two and movies for Oliver Stone in one year. Yeah, and this one <laughs> this is a divisive movie. I yes, think it and is. now I think it's tipped to where. Everybody pretty much hates it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's not good. <laughs> oh, it's not when a good movie. came out, now, to, be, to his credit, Val Kilmer really does disappear into the, the Jim does. Morrison role. He does the singing, too. Yeah, yeah. And he's nailing it. Yeah, he does. And, I mean, just people realize how much of an asshole Jim Morrison actually was. And I think it's just kind of like associated with him uh, by proxy. But I mean, he, he does a great performance. Meg Ryan's in it. Mm-hmm. Like uh, it's it's an interesting movie. And the soundtrack is a bunch of really the best of the doors and really introduced a new generation to their music for better or for worse. I mean, it, the songs that they put on that soundtrack actually hold up pretty well relative to the rest of the doors catalog. Uh, especially when they put like the end on there, which yeah. is like an eleven minute ethereal weird song, right? Uh, but it was it was fun. The uh, famously parodied in Wayne's World two later <laughs> on. Uh, <laughs> Nineteen ninety one is the breeding ground for, for, parodies, for parodies. Yes. <laughs> um, every, okay, so uh, everything after this is going to be uh, we're getting the dregs of everything, but. Two Bruce Willis movies came out last Boy Scout and Hudson Hawk. Both <laughs> two of his worst movies ever. <laughs> two of his worst movies, but two of his cultiest movies ever, too. Yeah, yeah people love them. Like, uh, yeah, I mean, last Boy Scout, I always run into people who love that movie. It's a terrible movie. Yeah, yeah. But, but it's got so many wacky stupid things in it that it's one of those movies you, it's compulsively watchable it was time. like bruce willis's uh version of schwarzenegger doing the last action hero in yeah. terms of how it was received <laughs> yeah, right like yeah. i think it was pretty much panned right out the gate well and and you're you're hitting on this uh hit and run book that i've mentioned before uh the last action hero was a Sony movie, which was part of that hit and run where they were giving Schwarzenegger, Willis and Stallone $20 million just to do whatever movie that they wanted to do. Hudson Hawk was part of that as well. And Hudson Hawk is, I think famously Bruce Willis clashed with the director and ended Mm. up basically directing that himself. And uh, the movie is weird. And like, there's so many people who love Hudson Hawk today, but there was a huge bomb back in 1991, like a tremendous bomb. They spent so much money on it and it made nothing. Um, just mentioning stuff like backdraft. I think a lot of people do like backdraft, but I'm not, I'm not as familiar with that movie as other people. I've seen it several times. It's not very good. Yeah. Um, um, it's not as good as all the parts in it would suggest because De Niro's in there mm -hmm. and Kurt Russell and Scott Glenn and, um, well, Ron, and of course, Ron Howard directed it, right? Yeah, Ron Howard. Yep. Yeah. Um, and it's a decent mystery, uh, but it's really just a bunch of 
uh, people shouting at each other. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Uh, and I do want to mention Bugsy as well. Warren Beatty uh, directing his future wife, Annette Benning. He finally settled down <laughs> after this movie. Uh, but Annette Benning in one of the sexiest mm-hmm. um, performances I've seen in a movie. And I've all, I'm always, Bugsy, I'm always got to remember that thing that he says when he's in the car at the beginning of the movie 20 dwarves took turns doing handstands on the carpet and he just <laughs> keeps saying that over and over again because he I guess he had a stutter or whatever and that was his way of getting out of it huh. and uh so like he at the very beginning of the movie he's in the in his car 20 dwarves took turns doing handstands on the carpet um but uh but bugsy uh is not a great movie by any means it's just it's just a it's a pretty good movie mm. uh to clarify and set the record straight god gave rock and roll to you is a 1973 song by the british band argent and was covered by both petra not striper and kiss <laughs> <Okay>. wow <laughs> <laughs> there you go those are your little oh, uh man okay so petra, i i think rock and roll history i think we're officially ready to vote here unless we want to talk about an american tale five will goes west mm-hmm. nope no we don't <laughs> um so what's the order today barrett today's order is barrett jeremy and chris okay all right i'm ready i'm locked and loaded i wonder if we're gonna go one round or two uh, hmm. but it's an uh, interesting it's really question. only uh, that those are the only two options uh, yeah so i mean really interesting question. you can't i mean I, I almost tried to talk myself into something like beauty and the beast or you know I love What About Bob, that that was actually so much that that was actually like a contender for me. But I can't go anything but Silence of the Lambs. I mean, mm. that's that's what started so much of American culture, again, for better or for worse, uh, now. The performances are just killer and rewatchable. Jodie Foster is really just magnetic. Of course, Anthony Hopkins was, too. And just the the minor players work, Ted Levine, you know, Scott Glenn, like all those uh, all those pieces just come together. And it's just an awesome film. It's just it it bridges the gap between horror and thriller and action and and all that stuff and psychological thriller. And uh, it holds up very, very well. It's got so many elements to it that are amazing. Like Mm. every any if you made any part of that movie into its own movie. It, they'd all be they'd all be great movies like yeah. the the whole Hannibal Lecter thing at the end mm-hmm. the the mystery itself the Buffalo Bill thing the Clarice Starling trying to be an FBI agent mm-hmm. and all this other I mean all the elements really uh, you can't it's it's impossible to believe that movie got like all that you know glued together yeah and they didn't even go into the what i thought was the most interesting part part was the psychological profiling and kind of like the bits and pieces that go into that and yeah. that's kind of accepted in the movie yeah but yeah it's so good that it doesn't need all that stuff. there's a lot of that in red dragon though yeah oh yeah um which i'll say every time i say red dragon brett ratner's best movie <laughs> <laughs> all right so it's my turn to vote and uh i did a little speech earlier about terminator 2 and how it ushered in me into the world of film and I'm voting Silence of the Lambs. Ah. Um, because of everything you just said, I think it has had more cultural impact. I think T2, you could make an argument, has had action impact out the ass. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's not as important mm-hmm. what it has to say. Um, and honestly, this is 1 and 1A. Mm-hmm. I could easily have gone t2 for my favorite but i have to go signs of the lambs because every single thing about it is at peak 100 percent excellence everything yep mm-hmm. uh my vote doesn't matter but i'm gonna say terminator 2 so you screw know. you your vote doesn't matter yeah, so so uh you know the, it's just one of those it's one of those movies that i probably watch this more than i've watched silence of the lambs mm. and i just i mean i think it's 
like you said, it's one and one A. It doesn't really matter. We were going to only go two rounds. Right. I yeah. think everybody was going to put Terminator <laughs> Two uh-huh. as their second one. If I said, you know, if we somehow got uh, mixed up on this, but I'll just say Terminator Two just to make it not unanimous and be a dick. No, that's good. You throw in a bone to the people out there in the audience who are going to be mad that we didn't vote T two. Yeah. Now, now you at least represented it. Like, yeah. like last week, somebody gave me props for. Um, sticking up for Hunt for Red October, even though it didn't win. <laughs> yeah. So. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, yeah, Silence of the Lambs wins. We went with the it Academy does. this time. Yeah, yeah, it happens every once in a while. We haven't done that since Amadeus, I yeah. don't think. Um, but, uh, yeah, Silence of the Lambs. So every pick. seven years we're going to. Yeah, every seven years. We're going to agree with them. Of the, the Lambs. <laughs> yes. Further proving their parodies <laughs> out of the 1991 <laughs> movies are all over the place. A quick note about that, by the way. A quick note about that. If you watch The Cable Guy and that hole where he's putting the chicken skin on his face and everything and he's going silent if, on the the side shot that gets matthew broderick uh kind of the back of his head you can see him cracking the fuck oh up. yeah yeah <laughs> that shot, and then they come back and he's like he's a straight face probably really hard to make that movie <laughs> well and, and you know that he probably did like 50 things in that whole thing too and that was one of that's when they finally settled on or whatever so guys today we're going to be talking about movies that made you think Now, we mean this, like, for real. Not movies that you had to think hard while watching to figure out what was going on. Maybe that's how you answered the question. I'm thinking, like, when the movie was done, you thought about what that movie's message was for a good while. I think it could really mean either way. Okay. You know, movies that made you think, which means, yeah, sure, there are times you're watching movies where you're like, I don't know what's going on. Let me think about this or whatever. But I think the movies that make you think and that are good, which is the ones that I'm going to go after here, um, uh, is the same way. Like, there's a lot of times you're like, I'm wondering what's kind of, I don't know what what's going on here, but it's great and I'm enthralled. And then after the movie's done, you start thinking about it more yeah. afterwards. Yeah, you guys um, have got to have a million movies where you just walk out of the theater and it's gone. Basically. Oh, yeah. yeah. And these are the ones that, that really stick with you and provoke some sort of you know, rational or emotional thought. Uh, with the start yeah. of the whole, if you guys don't mind, if I just kick it off, go the, for it. The whole topic evolved uh, from the movie Gone Baby Gone, and this is my main example for this topic. I have several. Uh, ben Affleck's directorial debut. Mm-hmm. I'm going to try very hard not to spoil this movie because I want you to go see it if you haven't seen it. It's top quality. Basically, centers around an investigation over a missing child, um, and Casey Affleck is a young private detective. Michelle Monaghan is his girlfriend, who's his partner, and they are from the local neighborhood. So the family hires them to try and help, along with police, uh, figure out where where the girl went. The end of this movie forces this couple to make a choice, and they are on polar opposite sides of this decision. Mm-hmm. He wants to do a thing. She doesn't want him to do it, to the point where they break up at the end of this movie. Um, and he does it anyway. And when the movie was over, my wife turned to me and said, how could he do that? And I said, completely legitimately reacting, how could he not? <laughs> there you go. And we That's were perfect. on the exact opposite side uh-huh. of that debate. We talked about it all night. We still talk about that movie. Really? Because we're still on opposite sides of that debate. She huh. would still do 
what the girlfriend would, wanted to do, and I would still do what Casey Affleck did. Nice. Um, and it's rare that a movie comes along and gives me a moral dilemma that doesn't seem obvious. Yeah, um, I'm the exact same way about Gone Baby Gone. In fact, I've probably had wars with myself over this yeah. decision uh, that he makes at the end of it more than any movie I can think of. Um, because there's a on the one hand, and then there's an on the other hand yeah. mm. uh, uh, to this decision. The you know it's the difference between ethics and morals that you're basically sort of making your decision on here it's either an ethical choice or a moral choice mm. and it's you know or is the ethical choice also the moral choice you don't know you you really can't you're right it's not one of those type of things that you can go well that's the easy answer i'm sure there are people who are like well that's the easy answer and they move on and don't think about it but i can't see how you can be that way about that decision at the end of the movie yeah it's just it's polarizing and yeah it's so well done and earned yeah, right? I feel like Casey Affleck's performance and everything he's been through, especially that house he and his gangster friend go to in the middle of the night. Yeah. I feel like he earns his character making that decision, mm -hmm. even if I don't always fully understand it. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, I, I really don't want to spoil the movie. I hope you guys will go watch it. And then maybe we can debate with you in the comments what who made the right decision. That I is a very non-spoilery uh, presentation of that movie. Yeah, and I, a couple podcasts back, I spoiled something else about the movie. Um, so, you know, I'm not that careful all the time. But it's, you can't feel the weight of this moment if I tell you what it is. Yeah. So, Well, mine is, is anybody that's listened to this before, you know that I'm a huge Stanley Kubrick slut. And one mm -hmm. of my favorite movies, I, I just love this movie so much, is Eyes Wide Shut. Oh, yeah. And on the surface of it, what really got to a lot of people when it came out um, in 1999 was that they were expecting something completely different than what they got. Yeah. Uh, and I was it's strange. I was listening to an interview of uh, Stanley Kubrick accepting an award, and he wasn't there. He was doing it remotely. He was recording it. And he says, well, I'd love to be there, but I'm busy directing Eyes Wide Shut with Tom Cruise and Nicole Kidman. <laughs> and that's how he presented it. Like, this is so sensational and everything, but it's a very different movie. What made me think about this was, or what made me think after I watched this, was the exploration of the relationships between the two of them, the nature of trust and jealousy, especially in the context of marriage, and how that you can really get under somebody's skin. Because she doesn't do anything. Yeah, Nicole Kidman's character doesn't do anything right. uh, uh, to break the vows of their marriage, but it's the fact that she wanted to. And what a scene that is, yeah. by the way, That's when tough. she tells him all that stuff while they're smoking weed. Yeah. And it's like it starts off all like all happy and like, yeah, we're just doing our normal married thing. And uh -huh. then she drops a bomb on oh, him. Oh, man. And you can tell like it's 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 played so straight everybody's both of them are almost still in fact tom cruise barely moves a muscle yeah and you could just see this this realization dawning over him that it's not that she did anything it's the fact that she would yeah or that she could and that thought never even entered into his mind which i guess for a lot of married couples or people who've been together for a long time that you just get used to it you're like oh well 
In fact, he says, like, I can trust you and you would never do anything like that. And the fact that she says that she would and gives him an example is just crushing to him. Everything he says is maddening to her, too. Mm-hmm. Like, like you're taking everything for granted in, yeah. in our relationship. Everything. Yeah. And she's got such a a menial role in their relationship. I mean, she's shown just, you know, combing her hair over and over, looking in the mirror several times, mostly while nude, um, and, and taking care of their kid and everything. And you could tell she used to be like an art curator at a, at a museum. And you could tell like how much has been kind of stripped away from her personality, uh, over, over the years. And when she gets this, this comment or this series of comments, but it just strikes a match and that blows everything up. And, you know, it ends up probably being, strangely enough, a positive thing in their relationship by the end of the, the movie. Well, this uh, is a movie such an that exploration. I, I've said this before, maybe not on the podcast. I was with that movie. Every decision he made, no matter what kooky ass place it takes him to, made sense to me. I was following his character. I was really into that film. And then that last scene pissed me off. Oh, really? I felt like the that I, I get what I, what he was going for, but I felt like that was just saying, ah, fuck it. Forget everything I just showed you. It doesn't matter. You're talking about the one where he says, I'll tell you everything? I'm talking about the, like, oh, isn't the, the last story, let's go fuck? Oh, yeah, yeah in the toy store. Yeah, they're yeah. in the toy store. And yeah. he goes, I think that we should... It takes like a, a minute for her to say that one line, and then she's like, "Fuck!" Yeah. And it goes to the the credits right after that. Um, I can't remember what the actual interpretation of that whole thing, that whole scene was. That she says that, and that's the vulgar way they end this mm-hmm. and everything. There is something to that more than just that, just that line. Well, that's that's why this was a number one on my list when we were talking about movies that make you think, because there's so much subtext in any. Stanley Kubrick film but even in this you know what you would think is a fairly straightforward like psychological um, I guess uh, exploration of a relationship there is so much subtext not only between the two of them and their family and everything but but also with the the ultra rich uh, you know Illuminati society and and how that uh, how their interactions are and it, it every time I watch it I feel like I'm watching a completely different movie because I notice so many different things in there. The fact that they are a wealthy New York family mm-hmm. and he's a doctor and they live in this nice apartment and everything pales in comparison to the group that he runs around with, the the super elite, the super rich and everything. And he is so outclassed. He's so out of his league when he goes to this infamous party with the, the whole orgy scene and everything that he he has no idea what he's doing. Yeah. Even though he should be somewhere in that strata, there's always a bigger fish. Yeah. You know? And and that whole uh, subtext is really interesting I may, to me, too. I, I may never have been more uncomfortable in a movie scene than when they make him take his mask off at that point. Oh, my God. Yeah. Because he's, I mean. Yeah. God, I don't even know how to put it into words. It's yeah. just really hard to watch. It is. You feel terrible. It borders on horror mm-hmm. um, when you're watching this because there's all this element of danger. She, you know, he keeps t- people keep coming up to him saying, "You don't seem like you're from around here," even though he's wearing a mask and uh, and saying he's in danger and all this other type of stuff. And then that scene happens, and you're like, "Oh shit, it's oh it's going down." Um, yeah. yeah, and oh man, that movie has so many just. It's it's a it's a dream sequence mm-hmm. like for a good hour and a half in that movie and uh I've watched it probably good 10 times. Well the crazy thing about it I was telling Chris earlier is that 
even though I've seen it a million times just by you know researching it for this this podcast, I want to watch it again like as soon as I get home. Yeah, yeah, it's one of those type of movies, yeah. isn't it? Like yeah. uh, it just it. I, I, yeah, I think at the end of this movie, you're thinking about, well, how much of this was real and how much of this is just an allegory and how much of this is, you know, did, did he get the, did he get the truth at the end? Mm -hmm. Did he, you know, there's a lot of things to, to consider in this movie and, and that's why I've always given it more chance than I think a lot of people have over the years that a lot of people kind of been like down on eyes wide shut. Um, but it's a movie that's just endlessly watchable. I mm-hmm. could just, I mean, it, you, yeah, I mean, it's something that you always think about after watching it. And that's yeah. all you can ask a lot of times. Yeah. Um, I'm going to go with inception. Nice. Um, you could really do this for most Christopher Nolan movies. Mm-hmm. I mean, Memento, which is what got him on the map is one that makes you think afterwards and prestige and the prestige and all that. I don't think anything quite like inception, uh, this is a a movie that made just tons of bank, but it's it's so original. Like it's, I mean, there's a lot of Matrix in it, obviously. Mm. Um, but uh, but it, I don't know if I've seen a movie that made you think about every step of the way more than this one did. And I I do think it's it's I mean it's silly when people don't like Inception, like to to tell them that they're wrong for disliking it or whatever. I think there was a lot of people who are like, I just don't get this. And that's totally okay to me. I mean, there's a lot of people who just don't, I loved every minute of it. Mm. And I think if we had, we did a sins video. Now we'd take a different approach to that movie than we did when we first started and everything. But, um, but I just love the idea of all the, the stuff that's going on. The fact that they keep going to different, levels of dreams and it slows down time even further as they go i've always been fascinated with just time in general being you know uh displayed in that way they do it a little bit in interstellar as well um but but inception it what really is amazing about that movie to me is just the thought process that goes into uh doing the inception like you can't just tell somebody hey i want you to do this you have to make it feel like a dream and they hire all these people and of course there's a lot of interpretations that this is like a movie set like tom hardy is this and you know and ellen page is playing the set designer and like you know all these different parts of a movie set and everything i would also if you really love inception i'd go to see that video on youtube kyle johnson did it's like 42 minutes long, but it's mind-blowing interpretations of Inception hmm. that you may have not have heard before. Uh, it, he, he came out with this, I think, the year the movie came out. Um, but uh, there's so many things from the totems to the just the, um, which is another thing, by the way, that the totems are like endlessly arguable. Mm-hmm. Like it's just... Uh, like, how do they work? And does that mean that he's in someone else's dream? Does that mean he's inside his own dream? Does that, there, it gets really complex. But when you think about it at the end, it's just, there, it just, those questions go through your mind all the way through. Just what, ha- what actually happened? How did they actually get it? You can enjoy it just on a, just a simple movie if you want to. You don't have to do even you, think about that. Do you have a definitive take on the, the end? Well, the, fun, the weird thing is, is that the, the script, I believe, says that the 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 top he spins falls. Mm. The mm. script originally says that the top falls, um, but he left it 
spinning and then it looks like it's about to waver at the very last mm-hmm. second, which to me always meant that he was in the real world. But there's so many things, that, especially in this Kyle Johnson video where he's talking about how uh, when he gets home, if you if you turn on the subtitles of the movie, um, you remember, you know, the the part at the beginning, he's on the beach and there's a castle and he's about to go in and yeah. uh, Ken Watanabe and all that. Mm-hmm. Um when he walks in to see his kids, he asks what his kids are doing. The kids are, I'm drawing a castle on a beach. Oh, wow. And uh, and if you want to talk about some stuff that gives you chills, that type of thing right there might tell you maybe he was dreaming. Mm. Um, it's always, and you know, it's always up for interpretation. It's whatever you want it to be is, is going to be the right answer. My definitive take on the end is it doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. Because regardless, he's made peace. Right. He's found peace. Yeah. I, that's why I thought they cut it off before showing it, so that you would know the movie's saying he's going to be okay. It at, doesn't matter. At the end, he's with his kids, or at least believes he's yeah. with his kids. Which is where he's trying to get. Even though, like, the you know, as people always talk about when they watch this movie, or, you know, they start coming up with interpretations, why don't the kids ever grow up and all that other type of stuff? The kids are the same age as what they are when he's remembering them as yeah. well. So you don't know how many, how many years have passed because he's been in limbo a lot of this, this time too, where the limbo slows down time to so much like ridiculous, like, you know, could be there for years and it was only a day Mm -hmm. in the real world. That's the type of stuff that I love and gets me giddy about movies is when they come up with rules like that. Inception's a little bit too much into the rules that it tries to set up so that everything thing is like perfect for them you know for whatever that they do but i still love the sort of the care and the detail that they put into that and everything and it's uh it's just a movie that stays with you for a really long time well and the the theme song time from that film yep is one of the best pieces of score ever yeah ever yeah i can't not get chills when i listen to that piece of music yeah. it just builds perfectly and when you've got the counter melody of the trumpets at the end it's just oh fucking kills me oh yeah it's amazing um i think the title of that song you were trying to think of the other day for babe oh yeah i was wrong about that yeah i believe and i, I couldn't <laughs> i couldn't interpret the words that you were saying but that's the song from inception yeah, yeah it's uh it's that song it's uh and and it's and what they do and that's what ends up hans zimmer ends up doing to the song to make that yeah. sound and everything it's such as a super slow you talk about iconic <laughs> score that has been used in a million things yeah. after that oh, but yeah uh, but that's not the point of this uh, this particular podcast today. Um, but uh, but yeah, I don't I I don't know if there's been a movie in the past six years that has been near that as far as like giving you things to chew on and oh, think not about. A yeah, and it's, it, like you said, it's one of the most original ideas ever. Yeah, I've never seen anything like this. I can't even imagine the mind that would come up with this. We're going to go into people's dreams three levels deep, and it's going to keep slowing down. We're going to have this big stacked action sequence at the end. Oh, God. Yeah, and uh, and they have to line that all up at the end and everything. I think the only flaw to Inception, and this is the projections. That's the only thing that bothered mm. me about the movie. That they're too plain. It's too. It's you know. It's too action movie gunfire nonsense and we don't care about them at you all have some boogeyman yeah you have to have some boogeyman but i wish it was boogeyman were a little bit more like 
you know, real creatures yeah. maybe even, but they, I guess they had to keep it a little bit simpler mm. in that situation because they have so much going on that they can't do anything more complex there. But well, uh, I'm going to throw you a curveball. Uh, South Park, it. bigger, longer and uncut. Ooh. <laughs> now I had not watched the show. I was in my twenties, raised in a pretty conservative Christian home. So you might imagine this movie shocked the shit out of me when I saw <laughs> yes. it for the first time. <laughs> Absolutely. And it's one of those movies I had to watch a second time to get over the shock to be able to enjoy the humor. Mm. And then on the third or fourth viewing, I started thinking. Because this movie wants you to think. This movie is dealing with some serious issues about censorship and what American values are and... Even racism mm -hmm. with the black military outfit. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Uh, and it's it's throwing everything at you in such an over-the-top way. And on the third or fourth viewing, I kind of finally realized, oh, it's so far over the top with the swearing, because that's the point the characters in the movie are trying are, are dealing with, is yep. that they're they're trying to censor this show that's not even all that bad. It's just a bunch of well, actually Uncle Fucker's pretty bad. Uh, <laughs> trying to censor this movie. Uh willing to go to war, by the way, to censor the movie. That's that's how far over the top they went to make the point. But you know, look at American culture and how sensitive we are to boobs mm -hmm. and vulgarity, but bodies on the screen and gunshots were just and, and not a, not all countries are like this. Um and it was really eye opening for me and I I probably spent I don't know, the next year or two re-examining my whole philosophy on, well, vulgarity specifically. I cuss a lot now, you can tell, but yeah. they're just words. Hmm. What are we so upset about? Mm -hmm. They're yep. just words. They only mean what, what meaning we assign to them. Um, and so, you know, I don't, I don't think for a second they were just trying to make a comedy. I think they were trying to make some statements and... Um, once you get past the shock of it, I think you can hear them. That's kind of the hallmark of their whole franchise, right, is is getting to heady issues through this crazy over-the-top, and especially through the eyes of kids. Well, they later would do an episode where there was, like, some kind of flood, and the kid's like, yep. don't we need to help them? And <laughs> the dad's washing dishes and says, oh, the most important thing is to find out who's to blame. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, The show, when I have seen it, has always been doing the same kind of thing. A movie just let them go further uh, with the vulgarity because you know, they're in a theater now. That's, uh, by the way, I, I can't believe, again, I, I make weird comparisons, but, um, but uh, this reminds me of when I was reading the book Rising Sun, the Michael Crichton Hmm. Uh, book and there's a passage in there that says like you know I don't know if this is true or just something that he kind of picked whatever um, but uh, he said the Japanese don't bother spending time trying to figure out who screwed up and, and making hmm. that guy pay for it they just want to know how to fix the problem hmm. and that's exactly what you're talking about there you know yeah. it's just like who cares about what you know and that's kind of going off the off subject to, to that one episode that you mentioned of South Park but um, but the, the interesting thing about South Park, bigger, longer and uncut is just the stuff they put in the, the movie that they knew was going to get cut Yeah. so that they could have the movie that they wanted in the first place. <laughs> and they put in all this like extra stuff that just, you know, that 
they never intended, but it was horrible. And like, so they send it to the NBAA and the NBAA is like, cut this, cut this and cut this. And they're like, okay. And they cut those out and <laughs> it became the movie that they wanted. Well, and they also famously fooled them on the title. Like the, yeah. the MPAA was apparently clueless that this was a dick joke, but bigger, longer and uncut. Yeah. Uh, they called it is- all hell breaks loose was the first subtitle. And then it became bigger, longer and uncut, which was a big penis joke. Yeah. It's freaking hilarious. <laughs> the best satire is the one that you have no idea that it's coming. Right. Know? And that, that's a perfect example of it. Yeah, and I love comedy that makes you think. I mean, there's plenty of room in the world for comedy, like Jim Carrey putting chicken skin on his face and saying, <laughs> sorry, let's the lap. There's a place in the world for that. But uh, the comedy that sticks with me and makes me think and maybe even sometimes change my lifestyle, that's the best stuff. Nice, yeah. nice. I, I've, I've said this before, but I, the first time I saw it, I previewed it the Thursday or the Tuesday or whatever before it came out. And I remember finishing it up, walking out in the hallway, and I think Russell was still there at the theater or whatever, and I was like, I don't think we're going to be able to get away with showing this movie. (laughs) I really don't think so. It's like, that's how hardcore it was about uh, the stuff that it was doing in it. And there was like, I was like, there's going to be people just coming out in mass about this. Uh, But but yeah, that's a good one. That's a good one. Yeah, it's awesome. All right. You're up, Barrett. Well, I hate to do another Stanley Kubrick movie. Go no, for you it. Don't. But no, I really don't. But uh, we would be remiss if we did not mention 2001: A Space Odyssey. Absolutely. In in the movies that make you think, and I mean, this movie has been and book from Arthur C. Clarke has been parsed out in so many different ways by so many people on so many different drugs that it's it's unimaginable, really. Right. But it still holds up any time that you watch it, and. Probably both of you would put that up there in, in one of your top 20s or something like that. Oh, yeah, that. for sure. Um, every time you watch it, again, you can get a completely different movie, but it's also really just enjoyable. Like yeah. it's, it's a good movie to watch start to finish. It is very slow, uh, but the the scenes in there, the way that it uses music, the way it uses space, space in space, and the way that everybody interacts with each other and with the computer and everything, and then, of course... You know how uh, how it ends with the evolution of of Dave, but talk about a movie that can get you thinking at every point, at every segment throughout there. Whether it's you know when the apes are finding the obelisk and discovering tools and and uh, discovering you know murder, yeah. uh, to where they're flying up to the moon and finding the obelisk here, or going to Jupiter, or you know past that. I mean, it sticks with you so much that you could just chew on it for weeks and weeks and weeks, and I've I've done that. Well, and yeah, it's slow, and I love I love Kubrick's slow visual mm. style, but it's tense. Like the scene when they get into the pod, oh, so yeah. that Hal can't hear them, and Hal, we get Hal's perspective outside <laughs> silently reading their lips. Uh-huh. Like it's tense as fuck, man. Yeah. It really gets you on the edge of your seat at times, and. Um, we actually made before Cinema Sins, we were doing supercuts, and I made a supercut of all of Hal's dialogue, which is pretty hilarious to watch when it gets towards the end and they're like unplugging him and whatnot. <laughs> it gets really slow. Um, but talk about iconic villains. Talk about yeah. parody. Talk yeah. about, I mean, the red light and the voice of Hal yeah. is, stood the test of time as a cultural icon. Uh, 2001 uh, was made uh, in sort of a strange way in that. Uh, Kubrick decided to make the movie in uh, at the same time Arthur C. Clarke was writing the book. Yeah, it was a short story, wasn't it? He, I don't think he had written anything. They both came together and said, why don't you write a book and I'll make a movie? Mm. And they had 
differing opinions on where that where those that story was going. Yeah. Uh, I don't. I've never read the Arthur C. Clarke uh 2001 um but i'm assuming that it went completely in a different direction not completely i mean and actually because uh stanley kubrick it's it's a weird interplay with the the two of them because stanley kubrick was saying interpret it however you want to Uh, you know this is the movie this is what i put out there i don't i'm not going to tell you what is what is what and then arthur c Clarke is like well, what you want to do is watch the movie, then read the book, and then watch the movie again, and then come back to the book, <laughs> because he was promoting a book at the time. Yeah. But yeah, he's got a little more definitive thing about uh, the, the aliens, actually. This is, the obelisk is a tool to to help lesser organisms evolve mm-hmm. to, to their area, and Kubrick kind of touches on that, but definitely leaves it much more amorphous than, than Clark does. I think there was a science advisor or somebody like that on the movie who who suggested to Kubrick, let's make this a little bit more uh, understandable. Let's mm-hmm. let's not leave it so open to interpretation. I think to this day he still feels that's the way it should be. He loves the movie, mm-hmm. but he feels like Kubrick should have put in like maybe one or two lines in there where you know you're understanding what the hell's going on. Yeah, and everything, especially at the last bit. I mean, yeah, the last that last bit. It's just... like, oh well, I saw Dave as this person, and now he's older. Oh, and now he's eating dinner. And... <laughs> 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 and then now there's a baby yeah i'm down with it yeah um but yeah i mean that that's a that's a movie you can talk about forever and i think they've had several documentaries on this i saw mm. one with uh like where celebrities were talking about woody allen said i when i first watched this i hated this movie or whatever and you watch it over the years it's like oh it's growing on me and and Tom Hanks is like one of the biggest 2001, you know, oh, really? fans. I think he's like, how can anybody say that this is not a good movie? This is the best movie. Well, I actually had that, pardon the pun, evolution myself. I actually didn't get it at all. I mean, I saw this when I was preteen or something like that and just had it on. And of course, I didn't make any association with, with what it was trying to say. I just thought, oh, it's a cool robot voice, you know. But then the rest of it was so slow and so deliberate that I was like, all right. And then, you know, you, know, you watch it years later and you're like, blown away it's, yeah. it's amazing um i'm gonna i'm gonna bring up election again nice. Um, nice. election is a movie that makes you think mainly because by the time the movie is over you start thinking about all the decisions that are made in this movie uh i don't want to get too much into it if you haven't seen election because it's a it's a movie that's filled with like a lot of twists and turns in it and everything um but elections about a school high school president election it's it's a true democracy there's no electoral college or any of that nonsense <laughs> yeah. your vote actually matters in in this in this election uh but what's funny is like how not only does whoever gets elected not matter mm. but it make but the the it, that it's it's pretty much you know you see that right off the bat like you can't really in really inflict very much change as a high school president you know you, you're just doing that for your own <laughs> resume resume and yeah. everything but but matthew broderick as mr McAllister, uh who i think also doesn't believe that much in this at all sort of makes reese witherspoon's trace tracy flick sort of i want to make an example of this person and even though this election doesn't matter at all to the high school he makes several decisions in this that sort of like you know get the ball rolling on whether or not you think this is something worth doing is this something that you know you should invest your time in is this the way to do it all this other stuff but 
all the characters makes these make these decisions that are you have to think about them in different lights all the way through it um there's a point where the one that uh McAllister gets which is the chris klein character he gets uh paul metzler to play to to be the uh opposing candidate because tracy flick's gonna run unopposed unopposed but he gets the most popular kid in high school to run against her and there's a moment where paul gets in the voting booth and he has to make a decision do i vote for myself or do i vote for her and uh and there's also the third party candidate that you know that his sister plays and and like the third party candidate how that sort of put puts a wrench in this whole election too yeah and everything i love this isn't really this isn't giving away anything uh as far as the plot and what the decisions are and everything but at the end of it once they count the votes there's a lot of undecideds that would have been tammy metzler uh uh votes mm-hmm. she would have won yeah if it weren't for some other things that happen yeah. in there and uh and so like there's so much irony in election there's so much like if somebody had gone just one little octave the other way the whole movie changes it's 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 one of those it's almost like a jenga plot of yeah. some sort you know where like you know you ha- you know you pull out these things very carefully and it has to end a certain way but any any type of decision that's made that's opposite of that would have you know would have made it crumble or whatever um i i love election on so many levels it's a funny mm. movie but it's also one that at the end of it you're thinking oh my god what if this happened and what if this happened and what if this happened there's all these things that could have happened like one way or the other there's a lot of 50 50 decisions in this yeah and uh and and it just uh I, I love it so much. I love that movie so well, he, much. He does that with a lot of his movies, right? I feel like he's almost always trying to make you think. Yeah. This is the guy that directed Sideways. And yeah, Hot Alexander Schmidt. Payne. Yeah. Um, I love Election. And you're right. It, there's there's so many different viewpoints to examine in this story. And if you look at Matthew Broderick's life in the beginning, and mm-hmm. you look at Matthew Broderick's life at the end, and then you remember that this election is so stupid and pointless. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and... You kind of have to wonder, you know, should he really have started down this road? Because it led him to ruin, basically. Yeah, and 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 yeah, he. That's the thing. He doesn't have to do this. This this is nothing that is going to change anything. Yep. But he goes down this road because he gets it in his mind. He's he's a bored high school teacher. Yeah, and there's some. I mean. I, <laughs> I, I could talk about election forever. This is why, like, once we get to 1999, it's just gonna we're gonna have to do a two-parter because yeah. there's so many great movies that came out in that year. Um, but I, you know, I just I can't recommend that movie enough. And when you watch it, when you finally watch it, and like, you know, just think about all those things. That nobody's unscathed in this. There's nobody who's perfect. Yeah, and those those decisions are. <laughs> are made by really fleshed out three-dimensional characters. Yeah. If you plugged a different character into, you know, this role or this role or this role, it could be a completely different narrative. Yeah. And so because they are who they are, that's how they kind of tip the scales one way or another. I guess, I mean, I guess they try to put Paul Metzler as the, as the, the sort of the uh, symbol of all goodness Mm -hmm. in this one, because there's never a point where he's mad or he does anything or whatever. 
It's just that he's not a good presidential candidate. <laughs> you know, he's just, that's the only real, that, that's the real flaw is yeah. that he's not a good candidate, yeah. but he's good in everything else. Well, doesn't he also steal his sister's girlfriend or something? Who's he making out with in a hot no, tub? No, there, well, the, there's a, a point at the beginning where his sister is making out with this girl who ends up being his girlfriend because she just goes straight to him. Okay. He doesn't know that they were like kissing oh, okay. in the in the bedroom and everything. And like uh and and this, you know, this other girl just goes after him because she doesn't she doesn't see herself as lesbian and she doesn't want to um you know and she doesn't want to do anything public in the school so she goes right after her brother yeah and so that she's like i'm straight i'm yeah. totally straight guys <laughs> you know that's more that she he doesn't he doesn't like do anything maliciously okay i've got plenty left that i want to talk about so we'll just come back to this topic all right so we'll come back to that but uh for our q a you guys ready for it yeah, yeah. go for it all right question question i got something to say I am listening. So the first uh, Q&A, uh, we got most of these from Twitter, some from SoundCloud. Uh, the first question is, what are the best supporting actor performances that stole the movie from a lead? And we're going to call this uh, the Tom Hardy and the Revenant Award. Yeah. Because <laughs> exactly. that is the one I would throw out, but I've already talked about that. Uh, and Leo's great in that movie. Mm-hmm. Um, but one that I wrote down was uh, Alec Baldwin and Mark Wahlberg in The Departed. Yeah, yes. perfect. And everyone's great in that movie. Mm-hmm. Everyone. Matt Damon is great. Leo is at his the top of his game. Uh, Alec Baldwin and Mark Wahlberg still steal the show. Part of it is that they're given, especially Mark Wahlberg, they're given better material. Like Leo's character isn't written to say the shit Wahlberg's character says. Um, but uh, I still think Alec Baldwin might make me laugh more than Mark Wahlberg in that movie. Yeah. The throwawayness of his lines, microprocessors. I don't know what they are. You don't know what they are. Yeah, um, yeah. Um, <laughs> Anyway, th- I, those two stand out as the most memorable performances in that movie, and they're just really side, tiny, you know, supporting roles. What's that part also? Baldwin says where he's like, he's like, he's like, hey, we go out for a smoke. Ah, oh, you probably held that right. Oh, go fuck yourself. <laughs> <laughs> And he does that. Uh, most people don't trust people with an immaculate record. I have an immaculate record. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, he's just such a whimsical portrayal of a cop boss. I love it so much. Yeah, it's like uh, it's like uh, so you got a woman. And he's like, oh yeah, I'm going there big time, big time. And he goes, that's good to hear. Makes lets everybody in the force know that you're not a homo. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Alec Baldwin really does steal that a lot, and Mark Wahlberg obviously has great lines in it too. I wrote down three. And I'm not going to use any of them because of what you reminded me of from Alec Baldwin's okay. character. So there's a movie called Along Came Polly, yeah, which oh, is yeah. a uh, complete you know throwaway comedy, but it's got two of the best uh, supporting performances from Alec Baldwin and Philip Seymour Hoffman mm-hmm. in this movie. It's Ben Stiller um, just kind of doing his Ben Stiller stuff uh, with Jennifer Aniston. But um, Alec Baldwin is only in there for about like five minutes, but uh, he's he's kind of the the uh, the typical Jewish boss boss where he comes in and you know anytime he's he's like uh, you know real practical like hey, Ruben, uh, you got to do this and he like is stand right next to him in the bathroom and everything. He's like uh, all right, Mazel, Mazel, good things, and like slaps him <laughs> on the back. Like he's next to him in the urinal <laughs> and he's like fingering his ear. <laughs> He, just, he lets a fart go, and he's just like, ah. And uh, he's like, all right, good things, and smacks him on the ass and everything. But yeah, I'll cheat because the other great performance in that in that movie was Philip Seymour Hoffman, which gave us, and this was an outtake from a previous uh, podcast that didn't make it, 
but uh, it gave us the iconic uh, shorthand for shart. Oh um, yeah, Philip Seymour Hoffman. They go to this big like gala and everything, and you know he's this former child star, and he's, he's like, "Ruben, I got to get out of here." You know, and that crazy like Philip Seymour slacker voice. I got to get out of here. It's like, what happened? It's like I sharted myself, man. It's like, what? What is that? He's like, I farted. Shit came out. <laughs> you could probably actually call this the Philip Seymour Hoffman Award, right? yeah, because he's on my list twice for Mission Impossible Three and for Almost Famous. Yeah. Um, he just he had a habit of being so great that he just stole the show every time out. Yeah. Except when he was the lead, which was only one or two times. Yeah. Well, and you can also call it the Alec Baldwin Award. I'm not going to say this is my choice, but Glengarry Glenn Ross is an, is one of the yeah. all times. Oh, yeah. yeah. One of the all time steel <laughs> performances because a lot of times when you bring up Glengarry Glenn Ross, that's the first thing people think of, even though there's like amazing performances all the way through it. Um, the one I ended up picking is not, this is an ensemble cast. So there's not a true lead, even though I think, uh, there is like, you could kind of, but dazed and confused Matthew McConaughey. Oh, good yeah. Call. Um, if you, if you bring up dazed and confused, that's what most people come mm-hmm. up with. All right. All right. All right. And like, you know, that's what I like about these high school girls. I get older and they stay the same age. All these type of things that he says in that movie are all iconic things. It's what made him a, a star, mm-hmm. a go-to guy in Hollywood. Um, and now we get Free State of Jones because and of now that. we get Free State of Jones because of Days of <laughs> Can I throw one more out? <laughs> Go for it. It's just an excuse to talk about Out of Sight, but Don Cheadle totally steals Out of Sight. Ooh, yeah. yeah, and everyone's great in that movie. But I don't know if I've ever seen him more live. Oh, he's role. great in that. He is born to play Snoopy Miller mm. and has lots of great like in the library when Clooney's trying to shut him up, <laughs> and he's telling Alec. Or Albert Brooks, you know, don't don't pay this guy any money. It's not worth it. Um, you know, if he kills you, he's not going to get anything out of you. And Don Cheadle goes, well, man, don't just have to die, Foley. Maybe he just falls down real hard on something like a shiv. My dick. Oh, God. Uh, I like him in everything. He's a very likable guy, uh, but never has he been this energetic. Well, that's me. the way he is. He Everything about what he says has a sort of an undercurrent of niceness to it. Yeah. And then he'll just, out of nowhere, just drop the bomb, yeah. you know, and that's what's so good about him in that and everything. All right. Next question is, what are your favorite movie aliens besides the aliens in Aliens? Mm, Which yes. I just like the way this question was worded. That's a worded question. <laughs> uh, I got to remember next time not to write down so many answers because I want to share them all. Uh-huh. Um, but the first thing that came to my mind when I read this question was, uh, aside from the little guys in the Star Trek Beyond movie we just saw, the little <laughs> angry guys yeah. in the beginning, uh, Galaxy Quest aliens, the yeah. Thermians, um, and their hilarious way of speaking, yes. especially uh, their leader. Um, and, uh, and the way they look when they're not wearing their image, you know, things. Uh, I just love everything about that movie, but especially those aliens. They're so goddamn charming and helpless. Like, yeah. they're basically children. Um, and they're saved by television stars. So. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna go uh, with uh, sort of almost uh, t- related to our topic today. Uh, but the aliens and They Live and oh. in Dark City both oh, yeah. have, oh. both have the sort of like Let's create a reality for humans that, you know, that 
they'll accept basically and we you know we're just sort of in the background they live it's way more like you know it's way more like well we're we're amongst you we're a we're humans amongst you and everything dark city now by the way did i give away the surprise to dark city because is it isn't it the surprise that they are in you did so maybe I shouldn't say that. Oh, it's it's fine. That movie's been out. That for movie's a while. been out for fifteen years. <laughs> yeah, I guess so. But I mean, it's not a movie a lot of people have seen either. But it's like saying the Matri- the Matrix movie. That they find out reality's not real. That's not spoiling. That. Yeah, I guess so. All and right. if, and you can see it coming in Dark City. I think. Yeah, I guess you can. I just it's a, I just know that it's a movie that not many people have seen. Like the Matrix. You know, that's a lot of people have seen that. If you haven't seen that by now, then that's your own fault. But Dark City, <laughs> you know. <laughs> I saw somebody scolding uh, the girl that plays Arya Stark for talking about something that happened in an episode the night it aired. Uh-huh. And her response was, get off Twitter. Aye, 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 aye. <laughs> 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 it was so funny and that's, perfectly that's juvenile. Good. That's the thing, like right about spoilers, is that just on the night of a Game of Thrones or whatever, don't go on any social media. That's the yeah. thing. We've, we've reached a point, and this needs to be in a podcast somewhere. We've reached a point now we, where spoiler people who want to avoid spoilers need to be the proactive ones. Uh, there's too much information out there. Somebody tweeted me yesterday. Please don't say anything on Twitter about the Rotten Tomatoes score for Born. I don't want to be spoiled. What? And I'm like, that's not a, we've gotten to a crazy place. What but if that's the- where you are, you need to get off the whole goddamn internet. Wow. Like, if, if I don't, like, there's a movie coming out, Suicide Squad. I stopped watching trailers for that after the first one. Mm-hmm. And there have been like 30. Yes. And I, if I'd watched them all, I probably wouldn't be as excited to see the movie because I know more about it. And there's this whole movement a friend of mine, Aaron, is part of where they just they skip the trailers when they go to see a movie. They don't watch any trailers. Mm-hmm. Um, but spoiler wary people. In general, protect thyself. Yeah. Just stay out of that fucking environment. Well, it's not a horrible thing. I mean, I had The Sixth Sense spoiled for me before Mm. I I watched the movie. Ended up watching it and loved The Sixth Sense. Mm. Uh, I mean, yeah, it would have been a different experience, obviously, had it not been spoiled. But I didn't like like come out of that going well that movie was not good now because you know or, right. or that wasn't enjoyable or whatever because i knew what the the secret of well was. i wish they wouldn't have told us that darth vader is going to be in rogue one yeah no kidding but the studio told us yeah. that is not a spoiler now mm-hmm. uh i would rather have experienced that as a surprise but i don't think it's going to ruin the movie for me uh but the the definition of spoiler needs to change and the people yeah. responsible about spoilers needs to flip to the other side the people who want to avoid them it's on you yeah yeah it really is <laughs> don't give me the right and, I, and, and, and i'm on the internet all the time and i've managed to not have anything spoiled for me right it's been so, a long time since i've been spoiled by something i read on the internet yeah so yeah a rotten tomato Snape kills dumbledore is probably the last thing i had spoiled <laughs> for me on the internet. <laughs> but yeah rotten tomato score that doesn't tell you shit yeah no kidding all right, what's, we got another question? Or we no, you well, didn't no. answer yet. Yeah, I've, just oh, got a, I've got a fun one to finish up the aliens. <laughs> and it's before Tim Burton really, 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 really went off over the edge. But <gasps> Mars, uh, Mars, Mars Attacks. Attacks. Oh, I love those yeah. aliens. <laughs> no, they're the best. Because <laughs> they're so adorable, but so uh, menacing. Uh, 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 they're evil. <laughs> they're so evil, and they've got just... <laughs> well, that, there's a scene in... Now, Mars Attacks, by the way, is is, I think, 
is it underrated? I think it's underrated. It's not I mean, great. It's not a great movie, though. <laughs> okay. Uh, but it's still underrated, I right? Think, I think you can say yeah. that. Like, people say it's just terrible trash, <laughs> but it's a little bit more than that. But I love the scene in Mars Attacks where he's like, there's an alien running down the street chasing after this human, uh-huh. and then he's like, he's obviously got, he's got a gun, he's shooting at him. And everything, and like, there's a little interpreter thing that comes out of his like dome or whatever, and it's like, stop! I w- we are friends. <laughs> <laughs> we are not here to harm you. And he's like sitting there shooting and stuff. <laughs> no, those guys are great. I love that movie. Oh, so I didn't even think of that. I'm so glad you said that. <laughs> yeah, I I actually did think about those, but I was just like, I'll just save that for another time. Yeah, but that's a that's a good answer. You guys want to do one more question? Sure. All right, let's do it. Quentin Tarantino talked about Hans Landa being his favorite character. What is your favorite Quentin Tarantino character? Wow. It'd be hard to top that. Well, he's got to be up. I actually wrote Hans Landa would be up there, but I guess I have to answer something else. Oh, yeah. He's so great. <laughs> and so I, I cheated, and I went with True Romance, Drexel nice. Spivey, Gary Oldman. Yeah. Uh, the drug dealer in the beginning who... Now, there's about five people who steal this movie. None of them are Christian Slater or Patricia Arquette. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but he's the first one that steals the movie. And yes. He's it must be White Boy Day. Menacing. <laughs> he looks scary. He behaves scary. Um, and that, that's the one I settled on. It would probably be Hans Landa if the question hadn't been phrased that way. Yeah. Man, I, I went so boring because I couldn't talk myself out of it. And to see how this character starts, it's Jules Winfield. Yeah. To see how he starts in that car where it looks like he doesn't know how to act. He's like, example. <laughs> you know, he's just saying these, these real just innocuous flat lines. And even with the whole foot massage thing, you could see it just building where it's just like, you know, eating a bitch out and giving a bitch a foot massage ain't even the same fucking sport. Yeah. And ain't no fucking ballpark either. And then by the end of it where he's making this crazy speech where it's like, I'm trying, Ringo. I'm trying real hard. And you see his nostrils flare and he's just absolutely invested in it. I love that character art so much, and he's my favorite by far. Yeah, uh, I'm going to go Samuel Jackson as well and go Ordell Roby and nice. Jackie that was Brown. That on my list. Nice. Good call. Yeah, Ordell Roby is so good. <laughs> he's so good in that. I just love the little things in that movie that he does in there, like just little character moments. Like, you know, he sends Robert De Niro out to his car and everything. He's like, oh, don't worry about it. You just hit the button. It goes, beep, beep, boop. And it goes, you, go in the, you go in the car. And he's like, but don't be touching my levels now. I got them where I got them, where I want them. <laughs> <laughs> and, and like and like just the 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 sort of the glee he has when uh robert forster asks him is that an apartment or a house and he's like that's a house <laughs> i just it's like he's so excited about telling him this you know yeah. but uh what a great character that of course it originated with elmore leonard mm-hmm. um i don't think it was quite drawn and fleshed out as much i've read uh i've read the uh, rum punch which is based on uh i don't think it was as fleshed out as it was in this movie but fantastic character yeah. samuel jackson does there yeah oh yeah i believe that's going to be the syncast uh for this week go to soundcloud tell us what you think about all the stuff we talked about today but anyway that'll be it for this week this is chris Atkins and jeremy scott and barrett share we'll see you next time thanks for listening comment on our episodes on our soundcloud page check us out on youtube twitter facebook and reddit and be sure to visit cinemasins.com
I liked son-in-law. I don't know why. Are you recording? Yeah, a little bit. Because uh, I want that. I want that <laughs> in the history records. <laughs> Chris just said that. I, like I remember. How- I remember when it came out. I was like, "This is kind of funny." Am I should I punish myself for this? <laughs> I like how when it like immediately when Polly Shore gets out of the car. He like lays down on the ground and starts going Middle America, Middle America. <laughs> and he's like, if we're not careful, somebody's going to listen to this and go watch Son-in-Law. Oh, and they're going to be very angry with yeah. us. Well, we are recommending Son-in-Law. <laughs> well, you told me. Yeah. I think my favorite thing about the movie Spring Breakers is that the judge is played by John McClane, NFL writer for the Houston Texans. Oh yeah, who that's does right. Radio that's right. In Nashville. <laughs> yeah. On what? In what movie? In uh, Spring Breakers, uh, James yeah. Franco, look at all my serious? shit. Yeah, he plays the judge. I forget how it came together, but I remember hearing him tell the story because he calls in every week to a Nashville sports station yeah. and tells sports stories and answers questions. Uh, and he told the story about shooting that. And they cut they cut all of the clips that show his face, I think. It's just <laughs> him from behind. But if you've ever heard him interviewed and you watch the movie again, his voice is unmistakable. Yeah, He says, he, I remember him talking about the the four actresses in their bikinis standing in front of him. And he said it in like the least pervy way possible, but you could still kind of tell this old man kind of enjoyed, you know, spending several hours in front of bikini clad <laughs> yeah. girls shooting this scene. Oh yeah. Uh, I would like to have been there for the shooting of the opening montage of that movie. Yeah. That mm-hmm. is like a rager to end all ragers, <laughs> but, man. But yeah, imagine you're 71 years old and Selena Gomez shows up <laughs> in a bikini <laughs> What do you do with that? Yeah, you're used to being I, around like, you know, 300 pound offensive line. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'm just glad that I'm the judge and I'm sitting behind a desk. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Same here. Same here. Many of you are wondering what's wrong with my pants. Well, they started running short of material right before they got to the knee, so I don't give me any shit. Why do you think he... Removes their skins, agents, darling. Are you saying you'd rather work mornings? I am an FBI agent. Twenty dwarves took turns doing handstands on the carpet. I go back.